Hi, my name is Christy Kramer, and this is Michigan Unsolved, the true crime podcast that is solely focusing on unsolved cases in Michigan. There is no case too small. My goal is to give victims of unsolved crimes the voice they deserve. Welcome, my friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the first official episode of season two of Michigan Unsolved. I am so excited to be back with you guys today. Um, it has been a extremely long few months since I last spoke to you. Um, well, that's not true because I did post that update uh, episode last week, but um, I wanted to kind of give you guys a little bit of an update before we jump into today's case as to what has been going on. Um, back in February, February 2023, um, I was just about a week shy of hitting my 25th anniversary with my job. I had started there at 20 years old. Um, honestly, I had no intention of leaving. You know, um, it had, I had been there longer than, I had spent more of my adult years there, actually all of my adult years, there, roughly. And um, it was home, you know. Unfortunately, um, I got a text message one morning prior to going into work that my my direct manager, uh, the world's most amazing manager, who had been there for 15 years himself, um, had been let go without any explanation or reason. And uh, it was, honest to goodness, soul-crushing. And I did not... I really struggled with that. I struggled processing um, how to move on from that, how to remain with the company that ultimately had no loyalty to longevity and to take this person who did nothing wrong and um, make them Ultimately, we found out that it was essentially payments for um, something that happened that was not even related to him. You know, um, I'm not going to get into details, but it was unjustly. But because this is Michigan and we're in at will state, you do not have to give an, a reason. Um, and that, honest to goodness, just like terrified me um, that I could walk into my job at any time. And be told to leave. So I decided um, at that point that I was going to start looking. And that was an extremely hard decision for me. Um, like I said, you know, I've been there for 25 years. My dad had been there for um, within the family of companies. Um, be long before that, he had started in 1980. And uh, he worked, he continued working until shortly before his passing. Um so for me to make that decision to leave 
was um, like this major soul searching moment for me. So anyway, um, I started looking um, at that point. So roughly uh, mid-March. Um, actually, what was that? That kind of spurred everything. But let me let me tell you this little piece here. Um, on my 25th anniversary, which was approximately a week, week and a half later from this incident, um, my coworkers were amazing. They decorated my desk. They um, made me um, lunch. They, they did all this wonderful stuff for me. And they, they had a congratulations banner up for me. And the president of our company walked by. And he said, oh, is it somebody's birthday? And they said, no, you know, it's Christie's 25th anniversary. And he said, oh, and continued to walk away. Never said congratulations, never said thank you for the 25 years, never said anything. And again, that was just another thing that just kind of spurred me on. So um, I decided to look and I looked, and I looked, and I looked, and I looked. I literally probably put in over 500 applications, and um, and I had a few offers here and there, but just nothing felt right. And I started to get very disheartened. And um, I still continued to record and do the research for the podcast and all of that. And, you know, I was motivated. Um, but after, I would say probably around July... I started to really kind of just like sink into this like black hole where like depression started setting in because I did not feel like I was ever going to find something and more things were happening at the company that I was with and it was just negative, 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 negative. And I felt beaten down and, um, that's why I, I took a break from the podcast because I did not feel like I could really devote what I needed to give to it. And the victims were not getting the, um, the justice from me that they deserved. And, um, so that's why I took a break. Um, on August 18th, I, after, um, five interviews with the company. Um, I put in my notice and on August 28th, I started my new position with the most amazing company. I'm actually working from home. I'm getting to travel. Um, I am, I'm appreciated, (laughs) you know, um, it's, I'm literally saying this with this massive smile on my face right now because I am happy and I am blessed and I'm ready to get back into it. So with that being said, uh, I'm very grateful that I had uh, 25 years with the company because longevity to me does mean something. Um, Loyalty means something. And, you know... um, Thursday, I am going to, well, October 5th, which is Thursday this week, um, I will be turning 46. So not exactly hoping to be at this company for 25 years because that will make me really old. But um, I would be very grateful to remain with this company until it's time for me to retire because they are simply absolutely amazing. 
and um, I couldn't be more grateful. So here we go. Um, we're going to jump in right into today's case. So as you remember, um, I believe it was the Duan Sims case was episode one. Um, that has been one that has stuck with me since I was really a kid. Um, and it was important for me to do that right off the bat. Um, but when I decided to do unsolved cases, I got an email or not an email, a text message from, um, my mom's best friend. And she told me a story that literally just hit me. And she told me the name of this girl that she went to school with. And she said one day she was there and the next day she wasn't. And she asked me if I would cover the case. And of course, you know, I said, yes, you know, I, this is exactly what I want to do. You know, this, these are the kind of cases that I want to cover. Um, unfortunately, this incident happened in uh, 1972. And there is the, the amount of evidence in this case and information about this case is kind of mind blowing because if this would have happened today, it would be like crazy because it was number one, she, this girl was 16. So there, there would be a lot of coverage, I believe on this case, if this were to have happened today. Um, unfortunately, I, like I said, I, I, I put off covering this case because of the fact that there was such little information to go off of, but I really felt that, um, I at least wanted to get it out there. Um, this is not going to be a long episode because I, there's not a whole lot that I can tell you, but what I can tell you is stuff that's going to make you very sad because the ability to solve this case was there. I, I really do believe it was. And just like in the case of um, Kimberly Luisell and Christina Castiglione that we talked about in that bonus episode, you know, the, why did it take 40 years? I mean, it, it, it's really mind-blowing. And when I tell you a few of the details about this about this case that I'm going to talk about today, um, I think you're really going to be shocked because just it, things just don't add up. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard about people being ruled out as suspects and then, but like for no reason, it's like, how do you just rule somebody out? It, mm, okay. Anyway, um, this case today is about a girl named Laura Wilson. Laura was um, 16 in November of 1972. As I said, um, she went to school with my mom and her best friend. Um, I do not know the name of the school. I didn't really push for those details. Um, as you know, my mom is no longer with us, but 
Um, not that she would remember. She couldn't remember what she had for breakfast yesterday if she was still alive. But um, my mom's friends, um, and I'm not going to name her as well, she, um, even she struggled to, like, remember her name exactly. And it took her a little bit, like the emails going back and forth, her name changed a couple of times. But after some digging, we actually did locate um, the correct name. Um, she was actually able to find me some great articles um, that I was able to get some information from. But there, there's a few facts of this case that just it, oh, it angered me so much. But, and you know me, I'm a passionate person. If you've listened to any of my episodes, you know that I definitely get angry. Um, But this one, I I think about my son when he was 16. And I remember, um, you know, my, my parents passed away when he was 15 years old. He had, he 14 and 15, you know, it was right there in that little age gap. And I didn't want him in the house that often. Um, because it was, I, I didn't want him to have to see everything that was going on because it was just, he was, he's a kid, you know, 14, 15, 16, that they're, they're still kids, but they're at that pivotal point in their life when they want to start doing things on their own. So I remember him coming to me one day and he said, you know, mom, you're, you're giving me all this extra freedom that you never did because yes, admittedly so I was kind of a helicopter parent and, um, you know, he, he jokes now because he's 19 and off doing his own thing and I'm still checking in on him. Um, but when he was 14, 15, 16, I, I let him do, I let him go out a lot more on his own with his friends and things like that, riding their bikes. And this particular case, it it kind of gives you this shock because this young lady, 16, just went to the corner store. That's it. Her mom Send her to the corner store. Actually, I believe, I don't know if her sister wanted to go, if, if her mom wanted her and her sister to go or, or whatever, but from the reports that I've read, she wanted to go on her own. She begged her mom to let her go on her own. Um, I don't even know her date of birth, honestly. So I don't know if she was like a freshly 16 or if she was almost 17. I'm not exactly sure where she fell there. But she begged her mom to go on her own. At least that's what the reports show. And, um, so her mom sent her to the corner store. Now, Laura and her family, um, all I've been able to confirm is that she had two sisters, which I believe were older, maybe one older, one younger. I'm not exactly sure, but she had two sisters and they lived in the Herman Garden housing complex, um, which is on Detroit's West side. Um, I believe off of like Southfield road. Um, I had never like personally been there myself. I know that in the, I believe the eighties, my grandfather lived there for a short period of time. 
Um, I remember my mom telling me that back in the day, but, um, it was a, it was a housing complex. So like, I don't want to call it anything negative, but, um, it was definitely lower income even in the seventies. So if you, if you get time, I encourage you to look up photographs of this complex back in the day. It was kind of like, um, even like if you think about an apartment complex now, the way things are like situated, um, it's, she did have to walk quite a ways. I would probably say the distance from where she lived to, um, this corner store was maybe a couple of blocks, not far, maybe a block. So it wasn't like a long way away. So her mom actually sent her to the store to pick up a carton of oleo, which from what I have found was kind of maybe like a Crisco or a butter or margarine. It's just something that was purchased back in the day. Um, and two bottles of Pepsi. Now, Laura had 63 cents worth of food stamps on her. That's what her mom gave her to make the purchases of these three items. That's all she had on her was 63 cents worth of food stamps. Um, she was wearing her flared brown and blue striped Wrangler jeans, a tan coat with fur trim, a purple turtleneck, and white sneakers with her name written on the soles. That right there got me. She was a child. Her name was still written on the soles of her shoes. I remember doing that with Adam when he was little. But she wasn't, you know, a little girl. I mean, she was a teenager. There's no reason she shouldn't have been able to make this journey to the corner store. And she did. She made it there. She she got to the corner store, which was called Buy Right. Um, I don't know. Obviously, it's been torn down. And it does not exist today. Um... But she did make it to the store. And I will tell you how we know that in a moment. Because obviously there's, you know, back in the 70s, the early 70s, 1972, there were no cameras. Um, but Laura did not make it home after she made those purchases. Her mom um, and her sisters looked for her. The police were called. Police looked for her. Um... You know, they couldn't, they couldn't find her. And then uh, nine days later, so I, I, my apologies if I didn't mention, um, Laura made these purchases. She, she went to the store and made these purchases on November 10th, 1972. At approximately 530 is when she left for the store. So if you think about it, it was dark. I mean, let's think about 530 in November, Okay. It was definitely dark. So she made these purchases and she left the store. Like I said, it was not a long walk from where she lived in the complex to this corner store. Here's where things 
get really crazy. Unfortunately, nine days later, on November 19th, there were a couple of boys that were playing football or something in a vacant lot. Now, as I mentioned, Herman Gardens was a housing complex and it almost looked like a square. I don't know if it was like a square mile or a square half a mile, but it it, it had a border on it, essentially. So just outside of the border, there were homes, like regular houses. And there was a house that next door to the house was a vacant lot. And the kids, local children, would play in this, in this vacant lot. So there were these couple of boys that were playing on this particular day. And uh, they came across a body. Um, this body was ultimately identified as 16-year-old Laura Wilson. Now, I don't know exactly how they identified her. I'm, I'm guessing there were methods that they used. Um, Laura's partially clothed body was found um, on a street that in, in this vacant lot that literally was just outside of the gardens. I believe it was east of the gardens is where she was found. Um, she was partially clothed. She, they did confirm that she had been sexually assaulted. And this is why I'm not exactly sure how they made the identification because her head had been beaten with a brick almost to the point of being beyond recognition. Um, now, number one, that tells me that it was either a crime of passion or it was some kind of a forensic countermeasure to obscure her identity. I, I don't think the latter is true because of the fact that her clothes were still there, her items. That's how they know she went to the store because they found with her body the carton of oleo and the two bottles of Pepsi. Um... When the boys were found, when the boys found the body, they ran to the closest house. Um, they actually knew the man that lived there. Uh, they told the man what they found. The man called the police, and the police arrived. Um, along with her body, they collected the brick that they believe was used to bludgeon her head, um, and also a piece of concrete. Both. The brick and the concrete had blood and hair on them. Um, they also found a prayer book near her body that was stained with her blood um, and her discarded clothing. So I'm sure they were able to identify her by her clothing. Um, I'm not sure if they could use dental records because of the state of her, of her head and her face. But uh, they were able to... Um, identify that the body was that of Laura. Now, there are a lot of things that I find issue with here. Um, number one, 
being that if you were to look at the map, okay, um, I still personally need to figure out how to work this whole podcast thing where I can actually like post pictures because you would be very, very shocked. Um, if I, you know, as I'm just sitting here because I want to give you guys like the best I am going to pull up a picture just so I can explain this a little bit better. So, because I do think that this is important for you to understand. This is something that's like really, really stuck with me about um, this case is because the location of Laura's body to... to the location of the gardens itself is very, very close. Not to mention it was nine days. Okay. Nine days had passed since she disappeared. They had people looking for her. The police were looking for her. There was a home next to this vacant lot. Okay. I understand middle of the night dumps, you know, potentially, you know, it was dark. The body was dumped, whatever. Um, but this wasn't like um, she was in the middle of nowhere. It was actually very extremely populated. Herman Gardens was jam-packed with people. Okay? This was not like a desolate area. There were so many people living in this complex and in the houses around the complex. Okay? This was not a desolate area. This was a very congested, full on, like people everywhere. How did nine days go by before her body was found? That is my number one question. I, it makes literally no sense to me. Um, I cannot find anything regarding like the degradation. Like how, was it obvious that like, do you know what I'm saying? Like I watch a lot of bones bones is like one of my favorite TV shows. And, um, I, I understand that it's not real life, but I know just by watching that, that they can dictate time of death looking at certain things. Okay. And yeah, 1972, the technology was not anywhere near a thing back then. Um, but why is there like, there's nothing regarding, was she like killed the day she went missing? Was she held somewhere and dumped nine days later? Like how did nine days go by? That's a week and a half. How did that long of a time go by before somebody finally found her body? And if these boys, um, knew the man next door, that tells me that they probably play in this lot a lot. So you're going to tell me that a weekend went by, that nine days went by, and these children did not play in this lot? Something just doesn't feel right here. I personally feel that she was probably held somewhere and dumped, but there's no way to prove that. That's just my personal theory. Now, there, 
this is going to make you so beyond angry. You're just, I don't even know how to tell you this part. But in 1978, Laura's clothing that had been collected upon her discovery. Okay, so six years later. Was ordered to be destroyed. Do not know how. Do not know why. Um, they did take fingernail scrapings. Uh, they did do a rape kit. They took other swabs during her autopsy. And none of that information can be found to this day. The brick, the chunks of concrete, the Pepsi bottle, Pepsi bottles, the prayer book, all of it, it's gone. There's literally no remaining evidence from this case whatsoever. It has all been destroyed. Um, not who's to say how, why, I, I don't know. There's, it's extremely frustrating. It, it truly is. Um, the, I had it written down here. There was a man, um, who had been stopped at a traffic light shortly after her disappearance. I guess there was a car that was spotted in the area. Um, they pulled this man over. They questioned him. He was cleared um, because he had an alibi. Um, there was some suspicion on Laura's boyfriend at the time. Um... The, the police went to, um, his home. I don't know if he lived in the gardens or not, but police went to his home and his home had been cleared out and nobody was there. I find that to be extremely odd. That's just me. But according to police, they interviewed his family and he was cleared as a suspect. I'm going to let that one sit with you. Why was your home cleared out and you cannot be located, but you're going to clear him anyway? I have uh, tried to reach out to Laura's sisters. I have not been able to locate them. I've reached out to a few people that I thought might be them, but... Um, I have not gotten any response. I've also attempted to contact the um, the boys that actually found the body, um, but I have not been able to reach them. And the two officers that had headed up the investigation um, have since passed away. So there's like, this is really why I kind of like waited on this one because... The information is just just absolutely mind-blowing how little information there was. And do you see what I'm saying about how if this were to have happened today, it would be completely different? I mean, a 16-year-old girl who was is raped and literally bludgeoned with a brick 
to the point of being not being recognized that mm, that people would be going crazy for this right now um but i have actually the more i've reached the more the more i've looked into this i've found quite a bit of in quite a few instances where um especially from that time frame from like the 70s 60s and 70s where um and even the the 80s honestly where evidence has been lost or destroyed or mislabeled and mis mis um misstored going back yet again to Kimberly Lewis's case they did not believe there was ever going to be any possibility of finding her killer because the evidence was so degraded because why it was improperly stored. Now, yes, they were able to confirm her killer a few weeks ago, and that was because they got lucky and found one single cell. And that was enough to prove. Um, but short of a, short of a confession in Laura's case, you're not going to know who killed her because in the, essentially in the realm of the Detroit police, this case does not exist because they literally, I'm sure they have a file somewhere, but evidence, no. There is not one shred of viable evidence at this point because why? It was all destroyed. Every single piece of evidence, her rape kit, her clothing, the brick, the prayer book, the Pepsi, the oleo, everything had been destroyed. So, um, again, that's really why I wanted to... I waited so long um, to cover this case because it just breaks my heart to think, like I said, I I think about my son and I, I think about, you know, him being that age and just wanting that little bit of freedom and mom, you know, can I walk up to Taco Bell? You know, I think Taco Bell was, you know, not even a half mile from our house just down the street, essentially. And, you know, he wanted to ride his bike to Taco Bell or walk up to Taco Bell. And I let him because, like I said, I I didn't want him in the house. I wanted him to get out. I I didn't want him to have to witness everything that was going on um, with my parents both being in hospice care. Um, But it really, it really makes you think about how quickly things can happen. If you, if you think about Laura's situation, she probably walked out of this little corner store. I don't know how far she got once she walked out of there. Was she taken immediately? Did she get close to home? Part of me, um, there, there are a few reports that, 
she got into a red car, but I, I can't trust that information. I didn't even want to report that information because every, obviously everything else is like out the window. Don't even know what's accurate. But I have to say that, um, we have to do better. And I know, you know, times have changed. Technology is here. Um, the DNA is here. You know, they probably would have been able to locate her killer. I'm assuming that, um, you know, we would know if this happened today. Had she been held for nine days prior to being killed or, or what? Her mom has since passed away. Um, you figure she would be in her late sixties at this point. Um, I said she was approximately my mom's age. So, um, I'm not even sure if her, her sisters are still alive. I, the only thing that, that brings me comfort is knowing that, um, her and her mom have been reunited. That I'm hoping that um, her mom now has peace. Because I, I just couldn't imagine living the rest of my life not knowing what happened to my child. And, um, and if her mom knew that all of that evidence was destroyed... How heartbreaking. Simply, simply heartbreaking. So, um, there really is not much more to tell you. There, there's just literally no information to go by. So, I will stop this one. And I will come with you next week to hopefully something that has more information. Um... I am glad to be back with you guys. I've missed you all so much. I've missed talking to you and telling these stories because who knows? You know, Laura's story may never have been told by anyone. I have not found roughly any coverage outside of 1972. So, Laura deserves her voice. I just wish... I could speak a little bit louder and give her more of the voice that she deserves because she was she was a young girl with her whole life ahead of her. So Okay all, I will see you next week or talk to you next week. I've missed you all. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye now.